Hey everybody, welcome to the First Pres Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast channel or our YouTube channel for the latest Sunday messages. We're so glad that you're listening and we are praying that the following message inspires you to take your next steps towards Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all here gathered up. And as we, um, as we get into John 4, we're continuing this series, Belong, and we're gonna pick up the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. But before we dig into that, I just wanna say a few more uh, words. Uh, we have watched this week in Afghanistan just an, a horrific series of events unfold. And, and uh, I know the feeling of, of frustration and pain. And as a church, we want to move forward in any way we can We've decided to partner with um, a ministry called Morningstar Development. Morningstar Development, uh, they are actually headquartered here in Colorado Springs. They are on the ground in Afghanistan and Kabul and in four other cities helping refugees. And then uh, once the refugees are getting a new start, they help them get a new start in a new place. And so the church is going to partner with them in that effort. Um, and uh, you'll get an email about that uh, later today or tomorrow, and it'll be on our webpage uh, very soon but we wanna move where we can. And I wanna say a word um, to veterans, um, to veterans who are feeling frustrated, angry. Um, well, I want you to know that we're, we're with you, and we have a military ministry here made up of veterans who, who talk with one another, pray with each other, encourage each other, so we want you to, to reach out, to not just sit there. And we also partner with Mount Carmel uh, Veteran Services, and so I'm just encouraging you, please, uh, Make that call. We want to hook you up with people. They have a lot of people standing by this week at Mount Carmel because uh, there are people who just need a place to call and to find that help and not to sit alone uh, and stew in their, in, their, in their pain and frustration. So I want to say that to you and encourage you in that. Um, Haiti. Haiti is nearly 2,200 in the death toll from the earthquake of a couple of weeks ago, and um, Compassion International is our best partner there, getting into places of need, and so you're gonna see an opportunity to participate in that if you wanna move toward that need. And then finally, folks, even as we gather and we sing and, we, and we're, we're worshiping, we're praying for our southern coast right now. Um, a hurricane is, has probably already hit or is beginning to hit uh, in Louisiana, and, and this is on the exact 16th anniversary of Katrina hitting that coast to the day. So we want to be just in prayer for them. Our prayer team, our uh, Caring Ministries, has called a special time of prayer this week. Wednesday, 5 o'clock, I want to invite you to come and not be alone as you watch all these things unfold, but come and pray. Come and pray and see the movement of the Lord, the hand of the Lord at work. Uh, we're going to meet 5 o'clock Wednesday, and I just encourage you to come and be a part of that. Amen? It's a lot. But we want to... We want to turn and look at this uh, story. We're learning how to belong, and we want to turn again and pick up at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. If you didn't catch it last week, it's not that much to catch up on, but I'm going to jump in right in the middle of the story here, verse 13. So open your Bibles to John 4, verse 13, and as we open the Scriptures, let's open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, uh, we're grateful that we don't have to navigate all of this stuff on our own, that you don't leave us to wander across this broken world making the best of it, but you've come and you've shed your light in dark places, you've spoken your word in silence, and we can receive your living word to guide us 
So we pray, Lord, that in your mercy, that as we open these scriptures, that you make these words come alive to us, and we can hear your voice and stand up and walk. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said? Amen. Amen. We're at verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You are a prophet. This is God's word. Risk being known. That's what we want to talk about today in our series, Belong, Risk being known. Did you know that not everything that gets posted on social media is a full and accurate portrayal (laughs) of how life is going for that person? Yeah, it's true. You're shocked. Shocked. (laughs) Clutch the pearl. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. I mean, that that angle that that we put, the filter we put on it, the bubbly caption... That ain't the real life, folks. That ain't what's really going on behind that camera. You know, I try to picture people kind of, it's funny to imagine uh, people how they really are as they're typing away furiously under a kitten picture, you know? (laughs) These kittens are so fuzzy. Send, you know, take that. My kids are perfect. Wham! Just fire that off, right? And uh, because what we want to do is we want to show people the best of ourselves. We want to show people where things are going great. So we, we fire off the best pictures, the most beautiful stuff. We want to send out, here's the good story, but here's where it hurts us. Where it hurts us is when we forget that we are scrolling through other people's highlight reels while we are actually living our own true lives. And the comparison starts to ache. That's not the real story. Social media is making billions and gazillions of dollars with, by making the very best technological platform to provide for us to do something that you and I and everyone in the world have been doing since the beginning of time, faking it. <laughs> faking it. We're all faking it. We've all got these masks that we wear. We've all got this persona that we put on and we, we push out in front of us to try really to hide what, the things that we're not so proud of, the things that we feel like we might be ashamed of. We're faking it. Brene Brown is a social scientist. She's done a lot of study about uh, how people get along with one another. And um, she studied true belonging. And she says loneliness is killing us. We, we need true belonging. Uh, her stats on loneliness, last week we got some stats on loneliness, but her stats on loneliness, they look like this. She says in study, 
living with air pollution increases your odds of dying early by 5%, air pollution. Obesity, 20%. Excessive drinking increases the odds of dying early by 30%. But living with loneliness increases the odds of dying early statistically by 45%. Loneliness is killing us. It's killing us. And she says in her research that people don't want that. They want true belonging. They want true belonging. They want to belong. But not at the expense of of pretending to be something they're not or acting inauthentically. They want true belonging, genuine community, and authentic relationship with others. What Brene Brown says is, she says that that, the only way that's going to come is when you stop armoring up with your false front. The only way you're going to get that is when you stop, uh, you know, armoring up with these defense mechanisms and protective shields. It only comes when we, when we show up and we, we reveal ourselves and we hang in there, even through the awkward. We hang in there and we move outside of our barricades and bunkers. Here's what Brene Brown writes. Ideological bunkers protect us from everything except loneliness and disconnection. See, you can build your wall and sit behind it, and that'll protect you from a lot of stuff, but it won't protect you from what's hurting most, loneliness and disconnection. True belonging, she writes, has no bunkers We have to step out from behind the barricades of self-preservation and brave the wild. I like that, brave the wild. We have to step out, let our masks drop. Why? Because it gets lonely behind that mask. And we need true belonging. We need to risk being known. Last week we met Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And there this woman was. And she wasn't just alone, she was lonely. And we know that because she had all these defense mechanisms to to deal with and cope with her sense of loneliness inside. What was she doing? She was coming out in the middle of the day to draw water at noon in the heat of the sun so that she wouldn't have to interact socially with anybody else. And when she did have to bump into somebody, she was going to be sarcastic and sharp and pointed in her dialogue to kind of keep you far afield so there was no sense of a true connection. She wasn't just lonely. I mean, she wasn't just alone. She was lonely. And Jesus warned her, didn't he, last week? He warned her that's not going to work. The things you're doing are not going to work. And that's exactly where we pick up. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks that is going to get thirsty again. Everybody who tries to handle it that way is going to wind up hurting more than when they started. Everybody who just builds those bunkers and those coping mechanisms to deal with that aching loneliness inside, you just wind up more lonely at the end of it than you were when you started. Everyone who drinks this water gets thirsty again. But, but, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them 
will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What does Jesus say? He says, look, something internal can happen. Something inside can change. Something deep at the core can be different, can shift. And now comes the truly frightening moment. This is the truly frightening moment in this whole thing. Isn't it scary when um, somebody knows more about you than you ever told them? Have you ever had that experience? Someone like, they seem to know you and they know what you're about and stuff and you've never talked to them before? You're like, how do you know? I mean, that happens to me all the time, right? Like, how did you know that? Well, it's on the website, you know. (laughs) You goof. It's scary. Jesus knows more about this this woman than she than she ever revealed. They've been having this great dialogue about, about water, right? About, oh, you need water. Oh, I'd love to have some water. Would you get me some water? Well, I, I, I'm getting water out of this well. And, and, uh, and Jesus says, you know what? If you like water, I could hook you up to this artesian spring. We could just run a pipe right to your house. You'd have living water just going right through your life. I've got an awesome deal for you. And she's like, I would love that. That would be fantastic because then I wouldn't have to come and drag water out of this muddy old well. And so, you know, this is, she's, she's having a great time at this point. She says, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and don't have to keep coming here and drawing water. I mean, at this stage, this is getting kind of fun. I'm not mind, I don't mind talking to this weird guy out here at the well. And then what happens? Verse 16, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. Thud, right? There's not a lot of extra words in her reply. There's no, there's no sarcastic comeback. Just, I have no husband. And Jesus knew that. And there was more Jesus knew. Look at this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Church, by any measure, five husbands is a lot of husbands. (laughs) Right? That's a lot. And to be called out on our current living situation That's a shock from a total stranger. That's a shock. You wouldn't be the first to speculate that that this is the reason why she would come out in the middle of the day, this is the reason why she avoided social contact, that this is behind uh, her her kind of desire to not come out and kibitz at the well with the others, you know, not build those friendships and social relationships. She was hiding. She was hiding in plain sight. She was hiding what she felt she needed to be ashamed of. Now, what do you do when you're confronted? How, do you res- how would you respond in that moment? What do you do? What's your response when you get challenged, when you get even exposed? What do you do? There's a, a number of things that we try, and probably the top, the top one right now in the world 
is when I feel like you're, you're calling me out or you're coming at me, the top thing that we want to respond with is we want to cancel that. Cancel it. I want to cancel that voice. I want to turn off that channel. I want to drop that feed. I want to, I want to shut off that relationship and I'll, I'll cancel that, that input. This is even done under the guise of mental health. It's bad for my mental health to hear something I disagree with from you and so I'm going to cancel that. Even if you're my 20-year my friend, if you're my, my, my relative, I'm canceling it, right? Cutting it off. That's the first thing that a lot of us are doing. Now, under that frame... Under that frame that you, you understand very well, how does Jesus appear in this moment under a frame like that? He appears very aggressive, doesn't he? Very aggressive. Not just microaggression here. He is hammering straight on. But look, what Jesus says, when he says what he says, it is for her and not against her that he exposes the challenge. What happens when you turn off every opposing voice in your life? What happens? I heard an old sermon by uh, Tim Keller last week, and he mentioned a, a Star Trek episode, and, and it was interesting. So I, I went and I found that on Netflix, you can actually watch that whole first like the old one, the old start where it looks like the ship is hanging on a string, you know, floating through space. And, uh, and it was one of those episodes, so I went back and I watched it. It was an episode about a guy named Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd. And Harry Mudd had uh, gotten stuck on a, a distant planet. And that's bad. But while he was on that planet, it turns out there were hundreds of beautiful female androids on that planet who were doing exactly what he wanted, just whatever he wanted them to do, they were at his beck and call. Hundreds of beautiful women androids, robots. You with me? Yeah, everybody got robot. Okay. So, so they're all coming, they're doing whatever he wants them to do. So they, they pass through the scene and they say things like, oh, you are so right, Mr. Mudd. Oh, you are so smart, Lord Mudd. Oh, you're absolutely correct, Lord Mud, what can we do for you, Lord Mud? That sounds like paradise, doesn't it? Does that sound pretty good? But it was driving him crazy to the point where he was trying to escape. He couldn't get out of there fast enough. Now, he also had another android made to look exactly like his wife. And when he turned that android on, she lit into him. I mean, her finger came up, and she's like, Harry, where have you been? Harry, have you been drinking? Harry, I told you. And then he just switched it off. <laughs> Harry, I told you. You, you, you. <laughs> you just shut that off. You shut that channel off. Close it down. Turn it off. I don't like that. I don't like that awkward conversation. I don't like that con confrontational voice. I don't like that coming at me in that way. And Harry Mudd, uh, he was actually on the verge of insanity. You know, friends, it's because we can't actually live that way. We can't. If you shut off every voice that comes at you, 
in a conflictual way or every voice that comes at you with a viewpoint that you don't agree with, if you cancel that, if you shut that channel off, here's what's going to happen. You know, if you close off every voice that you disagree with, you're never going to learn anything. And you're never going to correct any point of view that you hold. You're going to be stuck and frozen in a static uh, case of exactly the place where you were when you decided to react with, to discomfort with canceling. Be frozen. And this is not a generational thing. I'm not just talking about the younger generation here. We all do this. I want to challenge you. I want you to think about the channels of information that come into your life because we build a bell jar of voices that speak to us only saying the things that we already agree with. And when every news source and every perspective is only coming at you with something that you already know and agree with and all they're adding is outrage, right? You're not going to learn anything. Fear the echo chamber, church. It's not a place to grow. We cancel. We cancel, right? That's one thing we do. The next thing that we try to do when we're confronted is we counterattack. You know, the fight or flight impulse. Some people pick fight. And you just imagine, what if she did that? What if she just fired back? You know, Jesus, he drops this bomb on her and she's like, well, how about you, buddy? I don't see you with your beautiful wife and, and, you know, beautiful kids traipsing along behind you. And by the way, what are you doing out here at this well all by yourself, talking to strange women, ordering drinks, right? <laughs> I mean, she could have just come at him guns blazing, pow, 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 pow. But she didn't do that. We, we do that sometimes. We counterattack. The third thing we do sometimes is we, we, uh, we deflect. We just... Uh, we obscure it. We, we cause a, a diversion, you know? This is getting awkward. How about those Broncos? <laughs> how, about that, how about that Teddy Bridgewater? You think that Teddy Bridgewater, he's got it? Yep, steady Teddy, right? Yeah, we got him. That's usually, to be honest, that's usually where I live. That's my wheelhouse. If you want to learn how to do that, just walk around with me for a while. Because uh, that's what I do. The diplomatic voice comes over. In fact, for me, it always takes me, for some reason, it takes me like a little while to realize we're actually in conflict here. Like someone can come up to me, you know, put their finger in my chest. Pastor Tim, I hate you and everything you do. You're ruining everything about my church. And I'm like, well, thanks for the feedback, man. It's great to have you here. And, um, how about those Broncos? You like those Broncos? This diplomat comes out. This pastor diplomat comes out. And it's not until I'm driving home in my car that it like occurs to me. Hey, I think that guy really was digging into me, actually. I mean, I think, actually, I think that guy doesn't like me much at all. And that's when I write my greatest comebacks, right then, you know? Me and my car. You deflect. You deflect. Well, what do we do? Sometimes we cancel. Sometimes we uh, counterattack. Sometimes we divert. We deflect. And actually, the, the woman is going to choose door number three. You're going to see that next week. She's like, hmm, this is getting a little awkward. How about a, a real solid religious controversy to pivot the conversation to something else? But you know, she doesn't, she doesn't cut and run. She doesn't cancel it out, and she doesn't counterattack. She hangs in there. She hangs in there. 
Why is it that we respond those ways when we're challenged or exposed? Why is it that we, we have that reaction when something comes our way that we disagree with? Why is it that we jump into our, our bunkers and, and put on our masks? Well, it's because it's frightening. It's scary to risk being known. You know, what we think is, we think that, that if I really let you know me, if I really let you inside to know who I am, if I really show you my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities and, and the places that I'm not so proud of, might make you love me less. Church, that is a lie. That is a lie. You can impress people with your competence but they are drawn to your character. You can inspire people with your strengths, but they're going to be bound to you in your weaknesses. You can can get people going with your persona, but it's your person that they really want to know. And your person is full of weaknesses and faults and wounds and vulnerabilities and mistakes and stuff that you're not that proud of. But that person, full of all those things, is also the person who believes in Jesus and shares a steady faith in a Savior. And when you share with one another on that level, you're actually bound together. You actually know each other. You can risk being known. All your relationships sit in some kind of of, uh, balance of knowing and loving, of being known and being loved. Think about this. If you're unknown and you're unloved, that's nothing. They don't even know who you are. Now, if you're known and you're unloved or hated, what's that? I mean, that's just walk away from there, right? You know me through and through. We don't like each other. Catch you later, right? But what about this? What about when you're loved, but you're unknown? I think this is where a lot of us sit. I think this is where a lot of us live. We have learned for a thousand reasons to put that that false front out there, to put what Brennan Manning calls that imposter out there, what M. Scott Peck calls the people of the lie, what, 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 what people put this false front in front of me. I've learned to put that persona out there and that mask, that persona, is getting all kinds of approbation and approval and praise. And People seem to like that guy and, and, and he gets that emotional stroking and, 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 and you know what? That makes me feel kind of okay. But behind it all is this anxiety. What if you really knew me? What if you really knew what's behind the mask? Loved and unknown. Unknown and unloved, that's, that's nothing. Uh, known and, and unloved, that's just, that's just dark. But loved and unknown, that's lonely. That's lonely. And the only way to get out of that is to learn to drop the mask, to come out from behind the bunker, to risk being known. Jesus says, I've got a different plan for you. I've got a different plan for you. True belonging, being fully known and being fully 
loved. And the way you're going to get there is you're going to drop the mask with me. I'm going to penetrate that barricade that you're putting in front of yourself to hide yourself from me. I'm going to bust right through that. And I'm going to be with you as you are fully known and you learn that you are fully loved. That's what Jesus promises. Look at this, verse 19. Jesus will help. He'll be there. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a, what? A prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet knows stuff a prophet ought not know, right? You shouldn't know that about me. But Jesus knows. He knows. He knows all about her life. And he penetrates through the mask. He sees right through the imposter to the actual person. He goes right through that person and he sees her and he knows her and he knows that things haven't been that great. What does he say? He says, yeah, you've had five marriages. But you know what? He doesn't bat an eye at that. He doesn't turn away. There's no shock or surprise in Jesus when he reveals to her that he knows her story. Why? Because he has known her story all along. He has walked with her from every step of the way. He was there when she had great successes and he was there when she fell down on her face. He was there and he saw her and knew her even before she knew him. She, he saw her life and all those moments where she was trying to put it together and she watched it fall apart in her hands again. All those times that she was wronged. All those times that she wronged others. All those times that her hopes were dashed and things went to pieces. Jesus Jesus has known every minute of it. He's seen every bit of it. He counted every tear that fell across her cheeks. You're fully known. And what he says is, I want you to know you're fully loved. Five marriages, he doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't turn away. He will not turn his love away from you. And what it means is, it means something inside can change. Something inside can be different. Inside, down here. Here they are standing at a well, and what Jesus offers is he offers a spring, a spring of of living water deep down inside the soul, a wellspring of eternal life. We try to fix it from the outside. We try to deaden it with these external things. We try to numb that thirst that we're feeling. And Jesus says, no, you will be fully known and fully loved and you will change from the inside out. Look at this, verse 14. In fact, church, let's read this together, would we? Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water I give them. You have to receive from Jesus. You've got to stop. You've got to put down all those external things that you've been using to cope, all those mechanisms that you've been using to deter and defer this pain that you're feeling inside, and you have to open up and say, Jesus, I'm willing to receive. And the woman, she still thought an external and material and pragmatic Terms. She was habituated to these outside things that she would use to manage the pain. She says, yeah, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, so that I won't get thirsty. And Jesus says, no, no. It's not about you not getting thirsty. It's not about you learning how to numb or deaden the pain in your heart. It's not about you denying what you need. 
It's not about you uh, turning away from the, the need of your soul and suppressing or denying the great thirst of your soul. That's not what I'm here to do. Your soul's greatest thirst, I am here to fulfill. The greatest soul, the greatest thirst of the human soul, friends. The greatest thirst of the human soul is to know the living God, to know the one who made you, and to be at home with him fully known and fully loved. And that's what Jesus brings as he imparts his Holy Spirit in the heart of any who would believe in him. Jesus, he pours out his Holy Spirit within. He says, fully known, fully loved, I'm not turning away from you. I give you my Holy Spirit, a wellspring of eternal life. I'm not asking you not to thirst. I'm asking you to come to the waters of eternal life and to drink from them. And you never stop drinking from them. You never stop pulling them into you. You never stop just bathing in the waters of salvation and you draw on the well that I give you. You draw on it with joy. Isaiah said, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus said in John 7, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By which he meant his Holy Spirit that he imparts to every believer a wellspring of eternal life and refreshment and joy. See, Jesus doesn't want you to deny your thirst. He wants something else. He wants you to bring your thirst to him. Jesus doesn't want you to polish up your false persona. He wants something else. He wants you to to be honest, genuine, to let him see who you really are, to let him come into who you really are, to recognize that you're fully known. He wants you to know you're fully loved, fully loved. He isn't shocked. He isn't surprised. He doesn't turn away aghast to learn of the decisions that you've made, the mistakes that you've made, the, the wounds. He doesn't shy away from your scars. No, these are places where his grace shines. These are places where his glory is made known. And he doesn't want you to turn away from your thirst. He wants you to drive your thirst into the eternal wellspring of life that he provides. That you would be known and loved and redeemed. And how can that happen? Remember this, friends. Jesus became thirsty so that you could be fully satisfied. As he hung on the cross, one of the things he cried out was, I thirst. Jesus became thirsty that you could have living waters within you. When he died on the cross, he died knowing every wrong, every fault, every mistake, every misdeed, he knows it. He's not surprised by it. He's not shocked by it. You're fully known. And he carried it in his own body onto the cross and he died for it. Because what he wants for you, what he wants for you is not that you dull your thirst or that you learn how to live numb. What he wants for you is that you are fully known and fully loved and forgiven and redeemed and that you drink from the waters of eternal life. 
where you belong in him. Lord Jesus, help us to take this in, to receive this, to receive from you these waters. And I pray, Jesus, that they would that they would seep in, that they would seep in through the cracks of our hardened hearts and our protective shells, that your living water would penetrate, pour into our very core, where deep inside, Lord, the thirst is on fire. Jesus, reach us. Help us to know that we are fully known and fully loved, that you have for us an eternal wellspring of life. Help us to open our hearts and to know your grace and to belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Colorado Springs area, we would love to meet you on a Sunday morning. To plan your visit, head to our website at firstprescos.org. That's F-I-R-S-T-P-R-E-S-C-O-S dot org.